Welcome, welcome. It's another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan. It's a feel-good Friday, February 5th, 2021. Pretty stoked. Not only are we going to, is it a Friday? Today, a Cali Green Monster Show is going to have their first guest, my buddy Stephen Horton. He's a SoCal boy from Torrance. He's a big Laker fan, big Dodger fan, big Raider slash New York Giants football fan. We're definitely going to have to ask him about that. But I'm pretty stoked. He's definitely, he's one of the best, most well-versed people with basketball. I feel like with how I am with football and I feel like I can riff with football, I'm not nearly as comfortable talking about basketball. So especially with football season coming to an end, I'm pretty stoked to have him join the show for occasional conversations. I think that it's going to make the podcast uh, more engaging and it'll be something more than just me talking to the microphone giving you my opinion on shit without having some never being a challenged on anything so i'm pretty excited for today uh but before we get into that let's just talk about some little bit of news on yesterday's show i was mentioning the rumors about andrew luck possibly coming back to indianapolis colts and i want this show to be something that even though i give you takes or hot takes or something like that if I am wrong or I'm off or if I was misled by a bad story, I want to be able to bring it up because I want you to I want to have some sort of credibility with you, the audience. So it seems like there was no truth to the Andrew Luck rumors and stuff. But the Jim Ursay, the Indianapolis Colts owner, has come out and said that there's no truth and he wishes that, that he had a big announcement to say, but that Andrew Luck is more retired now than he was a year and a half ago. We've seen situations like this where they've said something definitely isn't going to happen then it does end up happening but i'm inclined to believe that andrew luck he seemed pretty definitive when he retired a year and a half ago and i feel like he's probably going to stay in retirement but with that being said indianapolis still needs a quarterback and news recently has come out that carson Wentz has no interest in staying in philadelphia even with doug peterson not as the head coach anymore so Carson Wentz seems to be a quarterback that is, is going to be on the move. So like I mentioned before in previous episodes, quarterback movement and quarterback talk has been a, is a big subject and topic of discussion on this show. And Carson Wentz is now another quarterback we're going to be having to talk about and seeing where he's going to go. Me, like a gambler who just hasn't learned his lesson and keeps betting on black when red is hitting, I feel like Carson Wentz is going to go to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts need a quarterback, so I think this is probably the third or fourth quarterback I've mentioned the Colts are going to get this year or in this offseason. And at some point, I am going to be right, so book it. Carson Wentz is going to be the quarterback that's going to go to the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich, the coach for the Indianapolis Colts, he was the offensive coordinator with Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz was having his MVP-level season. So I think that it would make perfect sense to see if they can try to reignite that magic in Indianapolis, and it's so in a different conference, playing different teams, and like I said, I feel like the foundation for a really good offense and a really good team is built there in, in Indianapolis. You've got a solid defense that can keep the opposing team score down, you've got a really good offensive line, and you're surrounded by weapons. So if Carson Wentz is looking for a fresh beginning and try a way to, you know, figure out his mojo back, I think going back with his old coach and with a new system in a new league in a new division is could be the perfect could be perfect for him so with that being said we're going to take a break from just the solo show and we're going to pick it up with Stephen Horton 
dude. I'm pretty pumped to have you here. I think since you started the company about like six months ago, like all I do is talk sports and shoot the shit with you. So doing this podcast, it's, uh, you know, I, in a way you've kind of inspired me to do this because you've, you're honestly always so positive and then we always have such good conversations. So I was like, God damn it, we need to do this as a podcast. <laughs> so finally, we're sitting down and doing this. So uh, thanks for joining me, man. Dude, I'm, I'm so stoked to be here. And honestly, like, seeing the drive from when this was just a shooting the shit discussion, like, oh, dude, let's do a podcast, like, in between science experiments, let's talk sports. And then to see this turn into, like, the podcast you have now, hearing it, I'm already a huge fan, and I'm just, I'm really happy to be here. Dude, hell yeah, man. I'm pretty pumped because, I mean, with the whole goal with this podcast, and kind of like I didn't know like how it was going to be when I first started, but then it kind of just turned into like a daily short snippet, like 15, 20 minutes talking about the hot topic of the day because I figured like every day I'd come into work and we would be talking about like five, six, ten different things that happen in sports. And I was like, okay, like the sports world literally always giveth. Like there's literally (laughs) always something to talk about. Like my wife was like, well, what are you going to do, like, in the football offseason? I was like, well, dude, basketball and baseball and hockey and UFC and literally football, like, has shit going on every single day. There's always someone being traded. So it just feel like this was the perfect, like, vehicle for a podcast. And I felt like, and especially having you on, like, multiple times, like, I do expect you to be a reoccurring guest. So whether you want to or not, that's just something that's in the plans for you, man. So, <laughs> yeah. Book it. All right. Right on, yeah. man. I, I just think it's so good that you're doing this because you're literally an encyclopedia of sports knowledge. And, like, having that all contained, you got to let it out somehow, you know. You're, <laughs> you're just too knowledgeable in too many different aspects of sports. Well, I appreciate it, man. I was going to say that. I don't know if people listen in, they might think that I have dumbass takes or whatever. But, you know, I think it's uh, knowledgeable enough to be able to come on here and talk every day. So I know that you're a big Dodger fan and basically the biggest breaking news of the day. Anyone, It's February 5th for anyone that doesn't know. But we just got news a couple hours ago that the Los Angeles Dodgers have went out and signed arguably the biggest free agent that's available right now. The biggest free agent pitcher for sure, Trevor Bauer. He signed to three years over like $101 million. I mean, as a Dodger fan, how do you feel when I first told you that news? I mean, you saw the reaction firsthand. I was, I was pumped. Like, I'm, I'm stoked about that. I think you can never have too much starting starting pitching rotation depth on your team. Like, there's no such thing as too much depth. And, like, having Bauer at the peak of his prime with Walker Bueller, who I think is just reaching that ascension point. Clayton Kershaw still can have some crazy games, can still deliver moments, you know. And then David Price, who we haven't seen in a little bit, but he'll probably be reliable. And then Julio Urias, I just think we're stacked. Dude, that's crazy. I totally forgot that the Red Sox sent you guys David Price. So that's just like, it's like the biggest example of like the rich getting richer. And like, I'm happy for you guys. I mean, I'd be so stoked because I mean, it's, hey, I respect like owners that are actually going out and trying to win every single year. It's kind of reminded me of like in the Yankees in the 2000s where like every time there was a big free agent, it was like Jason Giambi goes to the Yankees. It was like Hideki Matsui goes to the Yankees. Like Mark Teixeira goes to the Yankees. And it just seems like, the Dodgers are doing this, but they're doing it even better because it's like, 
they're not just like buying expensive players they're just they're also developing players because it just seems like how do you consistently have so many people on a farm team to be able to every year be able to offload like three or four top prospects to bring them in a big guy and then when there's free agents have the money to sign big guys like i don't even think with them buying trevor bauer like i don't even think they're really worried about re-signing bellinger or bueller because i mean that that what is it comcast money or spectrum money that they have <laughs> like it's they must yeah, yeah dude for real so i just the, the dodgers are like must be overwhelming favorites it sucks being here in san diego because it kind of felt like the padres are kind of like putting something together you know nope. bringing in nope <laughs> no dude for reals man so i think that definitely the dodgers it's like well, for the foreseeable future, that NL West just looks like it's going to be Dodger Town again, man. <laughs> I, I couldn't be happier about it. I know yeah. your sentiments probably aren't exactly the same. But <laughs> I like what you were just saying and what we talked about a couple of days ago. I think what separates the Dodgers is their farm system and the complement of like developing players. Like the rotation we just discussed, you know, Bueller and Urias are homegrown guys. And then you also have guys like Dustin May and uh, Tony Gonsolin. And, like, Dodgers just pump out talent. Not not to mention Seager, Bellinger, before that Peterson. Like, Gavin Lux now is going to be a starter probably, probably. Like, they just pump out good baseball players. It's crazy. No, for reals. Like, as a professional sports organization, they have to be considered one of the best because it's like, not only are they a rich organization that can rely on their bank account, but man, they're, I mean, like I said, I think that their president of baseball, baseball operations is the old Rays guy. So it's yeah. like they literally got the best minds, all the resources. So it's almost like, I don't know how the Dodgers like not keep this up for the next decade plus. So I was like, I think it's definitely like, it's definitely a good time to be a Dodger fan, man. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes down to people want to be in LA and people like if you start your career in LA, you want to stay in LA. And I think if you're a big market free agent, where else to go than the spotlight in Hollywood, you know? No, of course. Cause I mean, especially if you're making the money, you're a big athlete. It's like, that's where all the stars are. That's where all the good weather is, big, beautiful homes. And you know, it's the second biggest market in the country. So, you know, and you know, switching sports, you know, Los Angeles Lakers that, you know, arguably the biggest sports franchise and or at least basketball franchise you know a lot of people sometimes try to like to point at the celtics but let's be real all their championships are like (laughs) old as fuck and like you know when there's what like maybe like 12 teams so like let's be real the nba is it's it's the lakers league it's always been the lakers league even when they had their down years people always were interested in the lakers and what they were going to do even at the end of kobe's career when his contract was kind of hindering the team People were still talking about the Lakers, like, oh, what they can do, what they're going to trade. And that's why, you know, when LeBron came, you know, some people can consider maybe it was a surprise. But let's be real. I mean, like, I don't think it's really a surprise when anyone shows up in L.A. Because I think, at the end, like what you had just mentioned, like, who wouldn't want to come play in L.A.? Especially, the, I mean, you got great fans. Because you look, you look at, like, for example, over in New York or in Boston, where the fans are pretty ruthless and up in your business. And the media is pretty, like, relentless, you know, like playing in Philadelphia or New York, but like, you know, being in LA, completely more kickback. And I think that in a way that's kind of like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when LeBron first came to LA, he got a lot of hate, 
but like I felt like the the city was pretty quick to embrace him. Like it really wasn't that long from like everyone kind of like hating LeBron and being like kind of like Kobe stands to like okay, like we appreciate a dude that came to our city and like is winning. So like yeah. I don't know, yeah. No, I think that is the sentiment amongst Laker fans. I think there was it wasn't immediate. There was a bit of a rough patch where it was like we have these young guys. LeBron like people were allegedly saying that LeBron was trying to push some of these guys out, get them traded for AD, you know, wasn't really sold on the young guys. He kind of took his foot off the gas that first year. So I think that caused some divide amongst Lakers fans. But as soon as we had, like, we were back in the playoffs, everybody's like, we love LeBron, you know. So do you think that first season, because I was like, do you think it was him laying off the gas, or do you think it was more that groin injury that kind of derailed it? Because I felt like up until Christmas, like, the Lakers weren't doing half bad with that young squad. Yeah, they were definitely a playoff team. But, I mean, you saw how the wheels fell off as soon as LeBron was gone. It was like, oh, shit. Like, LeBron really was that team, you yeah. know? Like, so, yeah. And then I, so then it almost kind of, when that happened, when, like, all the trade rumors started happening with the Lakers, it was almost like, well, shit, what is the trade value for these guys that literally show, like, well, without LeBron James, they went from, like, you know. So it's like, it's kind of like, and then they got switched over to the Pelicans where it was like, they were kind of a similar situation except that ad wasn't bringing the pelicans to the playoffs so you know i think it's kind of that's why like when you look at the pelicans right now with how they're struggling it's almost kind of like it's kind of surprising in a way because you assumed a lot of these young stars with ingram and zion and lonzo and and bledsoe and stuff that they would be able to come together but it definitely is like well now looking back at like the lebronless lakers with that squad it's like they weren't really a playoff team either so i don't know like <laughs> like, do you think that maybe, like, do you, do you think the Pelicans are just still a young team with a new coach trying to figure it out? Or do you think that maybe there's something to it when, you know, maybe they are just kind of, like, a little overhyped, overdraft, like, kind of draft busts, you know? Man, that's that's a really good question. I think, I think there are a couple things at play there. I think losing Drew Holiday was a big deal. I think... Eric Bledsoe, he's solid, but he's not a player that's going to get you over the hump. He's not like a, a deal breaker, you know. He'll, he's not a fantastic shooter. He was at one point a pretty good perimeter defender, but not the same anymore. And I just think he doesn't, like, you have Lonzo, you have Eric Bledsoe. Like, you need a explosive scoring guard that also can get other people in, involved. And I just think that backcourt is kind of, a log jam like it doesn't and they have young guys like Kira Lewis Jr. and Nikhil Alexander Walker and these are young promising guys that might make it to the guard rotation so I think they're gonna make some deals and change some things Brandon Ingram's interesting because he's ball dominant he can score the ball no doubt about it but we've seen on those Laker teams too I don't know if he's somebody that can be an all-star caliber player on a winning team. Gotcha. I, I just don't know if he's a volume-based scorer and that's it. Um, I think there's still more to see from him. I'm not sold. Gotcha. Um, I think Zion's a real deal. It's going to take time. Uh, there are concerns about like his feasibility of his weight with his athleticism yeah. and being able to do that night in and night out and just be a complete force. But I think they'll figure it out. And they're going to make some changes. This team isn't the final product. 
but I think they'll get there eventually. Okay, cool. Like um, you, when you were bringing up Brandon Ingram, and you weren't really one hundred percent sure about if if he's someone that a winning team could build around. So another Lakers guy who was drafted high and traded that I kind of want to ask a similar question is Julius Randle. Like he's been doing really good for the Knicks, and he's kind of been the the centerpiece and what's been kind of like they've been building around right now. Do you think Julius Randle's a, a, someone that a team can build around, or do you think he's similar to Ingram, where he'd be a good like supporting All Star? Like, I actually think the flip side with Randle. I think Randle is a player you can build around, and I think he has elements of Draymond Green potential. Not the same defensively, mm-hmm. but his playmaking ability. And I just remember watching him on the Lakers, being like, "Dude." This guy goes left left every single time, and he's an absolute force. But if he could just go right and free up that side of the court. And then his vision is good. He makes good passes. He can handle the ball for his size. There's just, like, a step he needed to make. And it looks like he made it with New York. Like, I, I'm sold on Randall. I think I, I wish he was still in a Laker uniform. So do you think that, like, with a lot of people talking about, like, oh, maybe the Knicks should sell high on Randall. Do you think that those people are kind of misguided where it's like, why are you going to sell high on a guy where it's like, no, you have a guy. Like, what are you expecting to get in return? So do you th- I don't think they're going to get enough. I think they should hold on to him. And I think it's the conundrum the Lakers face it over and over again of a big market team. You have an all-star caliber player that's helping you win games, but it's not that that sexy like big name all-star, you know? Like when you're in a market like that, there's a lot of pressure. Like being an ace seed isn't quite good enough. We need to be a championship contender. We need somebody that's going to sell. I mean, obviously with COVID, it's not the same, but sell seats, deliver us, you know, like that big market name that we need. So I hope the Knicks, I mean, I don't trust James Dolan whatsoever to make it up. But I... For the sake of Randall's career and what he's doing, I, I hope they they don't trade him away and they build around him. And I think R.J. Barrett's a nice piece. I think Emmanuel quickly will become the starting point guard, and I think he's a good piece. So they just need to need to add a few more players, get some uh, veteran contributors, continue to draft well, and I think they'll be a good team with Randall. Yeah, I know for sure. I definitely agree with you because I feel like definitely as Knicks fans, like, they really haven't had much to be excited about. So that's why, like, I think right now, what, they're, like, maybe a couple games below 500, but that's considered, like, good for the Knicks. So that's why, like, I think people are kind of misguided with, like, oh, like, they actually have a guy that's actually, like, a a team, a centerpiece that you can actually build around. And it's, like, because I feel like draft picks could be fool's gold because it's, like, it depends on what you can do with the draft picks. And, like, I feel like, I don't know about you, but the Knicks have given me zero confidence that they can draft well. So I think that, you know, yeah. with, you know, if there, I think if there, were cer- if there were certain teams, you know, let's say it was, like, Pat Riley or something like that, you'd trust him to, like, make the right move, you know, if he thinks moving Randall. But, like, I don't know. I don't see, I don't see the Knicks, like, moving Randall, getting pieces. Like, I, I just feel like there's almost kind of similar with like in the football world with Houston Texans like I'm not comparing Julius Randle to Deshaun Watson they're completely different like levels of superstar or like like you know Randle's more of an all-star and Deshaun Watson's a little like superstar but it's kind of like in one of the, in in that's in the Deshaun Watson situation like I don't see any scenario where trading Deshaun Watson like 
works out for Houston like any in any way like and and then in the Knicks it's like unless you're literally going to swap him for a better guy or something like I don't know like I just don't think that trading an established dude that you're like okay like no we need to build around him trading him away for just like a bunch of unproven shit like it's the right thing to do especially for the Knicks fan base who's like literally thirsty for like anything and like and when you think about it like I don't think that Madison Square Garden or the Knicks is really a draw anymore to people so maybe having like a legitimate like big man like might attract like a you know a guard or something I don't know because I don't know who's the upcoming big free agents you might be a little bit more knowledgeable on that but yeah I'm not yeah so I mean I think that's the right route man I think they got to do it that way because they're not going to get enough for Randall no package is going to be good enough because no one's going to give hardened level draft capital for a guy like that like you said they're just going to get another guy and it's probably not going to be somebody as good like the worst thing the Knicks could do is trade Randall for an over-the-hill superstar. <laughs> but that would be a total Knicks move, right? right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that is what they would do. That's what James Dolan would do. Like, oh, let's, like, you know, try to bring some energy, bring in somebody that's way past their prime. That makes sense. No, like, keep Randall. Yeah. He's on, he's on a team-friendly contract. He's balling right now. And back to the Ingram comparison, I think the biggest thing, and this is something I harp on with NBA players, it's, it's why I don't like Kyrie Irving, it's why I'm a little hesitant with Brandon Ingram. Players that move the ball versus players that don't, it makes a huge difference, right? And Randall, starting his career, was an ISO player, put the ball on the ground. Once he got the ball, it wasn't going anywhere. But now he's facilitating, and he can take it to the rack, or he could dish it out, or he could hit a three. There's versatility it's less predictable for defenses. Like, I think that playmaking is valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the Knicks would be really dumb to move on from that. No, for sure. Switching gears more to, like, uh, you know, because, you know, it's a Cali Green Monster show. We're both California kids. The Lakers played last night. Yeah. Lakers played against the Nuggets. You know, they were great a great win. You know, they showed some grit. They were down early in the first half and huge third quarter. I think they outscored the Nuggets by like 20 points in the third quarter. LeBron got a triple-double. So, you know, I think that's a good win against a good team, like a, definitely a top-four team in the West. Um, you know, the Lakers were the, the preseason favorites. They're still looking good. I think they're third in the West but only like a half game out of first. Like, really, there's no difference, I think, between, like, Utah, the Clippers, and the Lakers. They basically got a similar record. So from what you've seen this year from the Lakers and from everybody else, do you feel the Lakers should still be considered the favorite? And if so, who do you think are, like, the biggest threats to the Lakers that you feel like if they were to meet in the playoffs, you would legitimately be kind of a little concerned? So I think, I mean... There's a little bit of bias here, maybe, but <laughs> I, I definitely think the Lakers are the favorites to repeat. I think there's no doubt about that. And I think the biggest thing that separates them is what was highlighted by the game last night. Defensively, they're the number one overall rated defensive team. And they can flip a switch or they can clamp down and just shut down a team in the fourth quarter. And that's what we saw with Denver, right? Like, they can shut out some star level talent and that gives the offense an opportunity to come back or pull away in some scenarios so i think their defense is what separates them the versatility of ad 
having guys like Dennis Schroeder, Wesley Matthews, Taylor Horton Tucker, like long wings that can defend multiple positions, like that's, I think it's going to be hard for any team to beat that. A couple of teams that I guess if, if there was a team that I were like, okay, this gives me a cause for pause. This gives me a little bit of concern. Clippers are a big one because I think they match that defensive intensity. I think what Paul George and Kawhi bring is similar. Um, And I think – but I don't think their offense is fluid enough. They move the ball enough. I don't think they would be able to – in a defensive matchup, I still think the Lakers' offense would elevate over the Clippers. The Sixers – as much as Sixers. Up, up to this year, you know, I've always been hesitant on the Sixers. I'm like, Ben Simmons can't shoot. Like, they, they need a point guard that can score. But I think, I think their size is problematic for the Lakers, specifically in a Lakers matchup. Like, I think if the Sixers are in the finals, Embiid and Simmons, if Tobias Harris shoots the way he's been shooting, um, and they have wings, too, that can defend Matisse Thibault, uh, Tyrese Maxey. They have guys that just bring energy, and I think they're a little bit scary. Like, I think because we can't bully them. We can't clamp the same way. They have that size. So I think they're, they're a little worrisome. So as the Sixers, is that a team that you're more concerned with, just like matching up with the Lakers, or do you think that the Sixers are the best team in the East? No, I think just... From a matchup perspective, for the Lakers, they're who I'm most worried about. I think in the East, it's it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, the Celtics show some flashes. The Bucks are always a good pick. Brooklyn needs to show some defensive, like discipline, before anybody can count them as dependent contenders in my opinion no for reals I mean it's like when you're putting up like 130 something points but losing because you gave up 140 something (laughs) like that's a big problem and especially in the playoffs when teams start to really tighten down and like every single play is a big defensive play like you know like especially like when you look at part of that big three you know we know that Kevin Durant and we know that Kyrie Irving can handle the clutch and they can you know they've won championships but James Harden is a big question mark. And that's why, like, you know, with the Nets, basically, you know, it's like almost like 10 years after they gave up all their draft picks to bring in all the Celtics guys. It's almost like, was that, a, you know, it's, it's almost like questioning that investment for a guy that's kind of like, you're bringing in a guy to win a title, but the guy that you're bringing in is a guy who's infamous for shitty defense and coming up short in the playoffs. So, like, I definitely think while the the, the Nets are an exciting team, I almost feel like they're an exciting, like, NBA 2K team. Like, they're, like, the team that you would pick in NBA and, like, oh, I'm going to trade this and that. And, like, now i got three fucking dudes and I'm just going to, like, ball <laughs> out. But, like, I just think in, like, real like in real life it's, like, I don't know, like, especially in basketball, like, having a big three, like, you need to have one of those guys be a big man that you that you can rely on for, like, you know, offense and defense. You know, it's like the Lakers. I, I wouldn't consider them a big three because it's like I don't see a third guy that would be on the same in the same stratosphere as like LeBron and AD. But it's at least like with LeBron, it's like he's a point guard, small forward, everything. And then you got AD who can be the four or the five. Like you know, it's like you need a four or a five. And like Kevin Durant, it's like sure he's seven foot tall, but like 
I still think of him more as a small forward, if anything. Like, you know, you could play him at power forward, but, like, he's not a power forward. Like, <laughs> you know? like he's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think in order for the Nets to be that championship level, he would have to play – he would have to be that last line of defense. Like, I don't know if you remember that first season he was on the Warriors. That was the best defense I've seen Kevin Durant play. It was He was basically playing the five. But he was shot blocking, protecting the rim. He could switch out, guard guys on the perimeter. Like he was as much of a defensive asset as he was an offensive asset. And I think if, I mean, coming back from injury, maybe he's a little hesitant, a little slow to do that, to compete at that defensive level. But I think if he can flip that switch, that will, but one guy can only do so much. They need other guys to also play defense. James Harden and Kyrie Irving aren't going to do that for you. That's just not in their profile. But something about Harden that I've just I've been just as critical on him as you have in the past. I, I don't like his game. I don't like the way he shrinks in the playoffs in Houston. But I think if there were a type of scenario for James Harden to succeed, it's something like this where he doesn't have to make those big shots. He can facilitate now. Not he can true. take a back seat. He can be kind of like what he was in OKC. I think that's when he's at his best. So I think if he can do that here, I mean, and this comes back to what I alluded to earlier, feel good about KD, feel good about this role for Harden. I'm just not a Kyrie guy. Yeah. I, 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 think, it, I think if there was somebody to switch out for a big man, it would be Kyrie. Bro. I just don't believe in Kyrie. Bro, what did, what, did, what did I tell you earlier? You got you get you get the Nets, you, you tell you get the Bucks on the line and you go, "Hey, I got Kyrie Irving. I got James Harden. I got no draft picks. <laughs> but what else would you want for Giannis, bro? I think that that would just like, you know, be the the the, the cream move to but uh I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what better one Hey, what to what than... about the, what if the Nets hit up our, our old buddy the Knicks we were just talking about and we're like, "Hey, we'll give you Kyrie Irving for Julius Randle." Knicks would do it in a heartbeat. If I'm the Nets, I would do it, but no other sports mind would probably say that. Yeah. But I just hate Kyrie that much. <laughs> I, I just like, dude holds the ball for way too long. Yeah, he's a great ISO scorer. He's a great ball handler, but he plays absolutely no defense. He doesn't get other people involved. He'll score 40 points a night, and you'll still lose. And that is not the type of player you want on a championship team. Dude, for reals. I mean, I think it's pretty funny how when he was on the Cavaliers, it was all about, oh, like, you know, people really tried to push the narrative that it was Kyrie Irving's team and that LeBron was, you know, dishing it to Kyrie. And, like, you know, it was like, no, it's like, it, I feel like it's so comical. And that's why I think it's funny when he went to Boston and they were literally better without him. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he, he he's, in the, he's in the lineup and just completely fucks with their chemistry. It was like, so, yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Where I feel like he's a he's a narcissist that like no he, he's great at basketball like he's probably some of the best handles anyone's ever had but it's like for a guy who's a flat earther and let's be real like i mean it's like he spent one year in college where i'm sure he wasn't even like doing classes it was probably just basketball like trying to act like he's the smartest person in the room there's a lot of people that say that like oh like he was like kobe's biggest fan and like was like kind of like a protege of kobe but it's like First off, dude, you're a fucking point guard. Like, Kobe was a shooting guard. So it's like, I understand, like, maybe wanting the, like, the Mamba mentality because I think that's something that, like, all of us can live by. Like, you know, but, like, to almost, like, model your game and, like, and to even, like, think 
like to, to almost like act like it almost feels like he has like an entitlement like he is a Kobe-esque person and it's like no motherfucker like dude like you're just you're really good at basketball like you're an all-star guy but like don't think that you're just some transcendent dude like you're not LeBron like you're not Kobe like you know I don't know like I think he thinks he's like way more important than he really is like and if anything I think it demonstrates a lack of Mamba mentality like as the biggest Kobe fan I I mean other people would argue otherwise but I will tell you I'm the biggest Kobe fan (laughs) to ever walk this earth Kyrie, it, it's just frustrating that he even tries to make a comparison or see himself in the same light because his finicky attitude with the team, you know, him not putting everything on the line for his guys, not showing that grit game in and game out, flaking the way he did with Boston. Like, and just, I just think he's not committed to his teammates or the game enough like Kobe never would have canceled a press conference and written a letter to the press saying that people just take me out of context so I avoided my press conference like that's not that's not something Kobe would do Kobe would face the music be there and take you know yeah and answer any question that people have for him so I think Kyrie's just a wannabe cerebral maniac who is not a team player on the basketball court, who will never win a championship without a guy like LeBron James. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, no, Kyrie no dude, no, I was like, that's, that's like, you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, and the thing is, is that like, I don't know, I, I was, I was kind of curious how the players in the Nets locker room felt when it's like in the midst of Kyrie kind of having his like, media silence and he was just like a wall for like i don't know what it was if it was like you know because he was partying with the covid stuff but it's like imagine being on the nets and now not only do you have kyrie irving who's like one of your leaders but then they just traded away a bunch of assets now to bring a guy who's like he was literally in the in the media for being like a selfish piece of shit when he was the leader of a team but like he was known for like and, and, and even when he was playing in Houston, was showing up. He like stories were coming out that like he was adjusting travel schedules so he could go to strip clubs and party and like you know. So it's like, I, it makes me think like if I'm one of those role players at the Nets, it's like, what the fuck, dude? Like I don't know, man. But I think the one saving grace for the Nets about all that is Kyrie and James Harden don't have to be the leaders of this team because they have Kevin Durant. And ultimately, Kevin Durant is the maestro. He's the top dog. He's he's the man in this situation, you know? Like, if Kyrie or James do this wacky bullshit, KD's going to hold him accountable Definitely. because he's like, bro, I came here to win a chip. Like, let's do it. Get your head out of your ass and let's play. So I think... I think that's the game changer for them. KD's been very constant, very dedicated. He's come back and he's doing a great job. I think he's second in the league in scoring, averaging 31 points a game or something. Like he's, he's been phenomenal. So I think that's the one thing that, and I think it'll be good for his legacy if they make it to a final because it'll prove to people, Kevin Durant had these wacky personalities he came back from a very serious injury and he delivered. So I think 
And I think KD knows that, and I think he knows that this will elevate his reputation. So I think he's approaching this with a very serious attitude. So do you think that he's already delivered, or do you think that he he needs to, like, the Nets need to be successful in the playoffs? Because, like, I feel like coming back from Achilles' injury is already kind of like a a pretty great accomplishment and being able to come and play at basically the same level, similar level, if not even better. But if the Nets get bounced in, like, the second round, like, would you consider it it a, a, you know, mission failed for Kevin Durant? Or do you, yeah. Yeah. And I think he, I mean, I'm not Kevin Durant. I don't know Kevin Durant, but I would assume just based on hearing interviews and just the way he carries himself that he wouldn't, that wouldn't be good enough. It's championship or bust for him because you look at the way he left OKC after blowing that 3-1 to lead, going to the Warriors. The only championships he won were with the Warriors. Yeah. But if he can salvage this Nets team, lead this team to a championship, I think that's the one thing that can be like LeBron KD. Okay. You know? Or like put him more in the conversation than he is right now. Because so, I don't think he's there right now. All right. So I have like one of the things that I, I haven't really thought about it until right now is – Okay, the Nets, With I feel like with this trade, I feel like it's definitely going to be, like, have diminishing returns the farther out we get from it. Like, I feel like the, the max that, like, benefit they're going to get from this trade is either this year or maybe next year. Like, let's say they have a season under their belt of molding, like, molding together. Maybe next season might be a little better. If they, say they get bounced in the second round this year, say next year they get bounced in the second round again, does Kevin Durant stick around? Or do you can you see Kevin Durant wanting to go get a net, like, like, do you think that the Nets is going to be the final stop for Kevin Durant? See, so I don't think KD is going to be the first one to bail in that situation. I think if you get bounced in the second round two years in a row, I think Kyrie Irving is going to be the first one to go. And I think if that's the case, Nets could try to fill that role with somebody else that maybe is a better fit, and then they would actually improve their odds. So I think, I think... KD being patient is probably the best move. I think there's a three-year, three to four-year window here. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it doesn't happen right away, as long as they're able to make some adjustments, I think they're he should stand pat and he should wait it out. Well, now that like now it's like I feel like this is just like all like speculating stuff and just like like as if we were playing NBA 2K, but like. Okay, now you're the you're the GM of the Met, the Nets. You've made this trade, but you also see that okay, I've got we've got a high powered offense, but we need to figure it out defensively. Like, if, if if things don't go well this year, do you panic and try to flip one of those guys to try to to bring in some defense and more balance, or do you try to just trust your move and just try to see how it works? No, I think they have to make another move, man. I think they have to because the thing is. You look at the move they made, and we had talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, I bet the Nets organization are clenching their fists, like looking at the phone, like, can we call and get Jared Allen back, please? Like, <laughs> like losing Jared Allen and maybe even Torian Prince, who's a great perimeter defender, can knock down some shots. Like, losing arguably their two best defenders in this trade is the biggest miss for them. Like, that's now they're going to have to make another move to fill that void and if they don't do it they're going to suffer the consequences like i think they need they're not going to be able to outscore everybody every single night 
because the Lakers have that defensive ability. They can they can clamp it on defense, and their offense is good enough to hang. So I think as long as the Nets have the weapons they currently have, and you look maybe the next year they get an, another great player in Spencer Dinwiddie to come back, that's another offensive guy that needs a ball. So they're going to need to shift to get some defensive 3 and D or a big man that can protect the paint better than DeAndre Jordan can yeah. in order to win. They need to make some moves. They're, they're not good enough as constructed. I don't think so. Cool. And then on the, on the flip side of that trade, like the Houston Rockets, I thought that, you know, when they got rid of James Harden that they were just going to be kind of left for dead. But I think they've kind of surprised everybody by doing a lot better than expected. So, like, you know, and then an, another Texas team that I kind of want to bring up that that's kind of been co- like kind of surprising is the Dallas Mavericks. I remember when the season started, I felt like, dude, Luka Doncic is just like an MVP, like in the waiting. If Porzingis can be healthy, and I felt like they had a big team. Like I just felt like they were primed to like go on a run in the West, but like they've just I don't know. I they just have. I just feel like they haven't figured it out like at all all season. Like they're and I feel like each week that goes by the expectations for Dallas is kind of getting less and less. So for you, who are you more surprised by that, that how good Houston's done post James Harden or how crappy Dallas has been to start the season? I'm more surprised by Dallas. I would have been one of the the crazy people telling everybody else that the Houston Rockets would get better after James Harden. All right. Like, I, I just, and we've talked about it a little bit, Bill Simmons has this theory called the Ewing theory, and it's when a star player, you're building around this guy, you're coaching around this guy, and you move that guy, and it actually makes everything flow better, and it makes the team better, and I think that's exactly what happened with Houston. They have a bunch of guys that want to prove themselves again like Oladipo coming off of injuries and like he rose to this great all-star status in Indiana and now there were some questions about his health and can he get back to that level he wants to prove himself John Wall same thing wants to prove himself Christian Wood heard it here first most improved player in the (laughs) NBA like he's winning the award seal it send it right now like these are guys Christian Wood played on I believe it was so he's 26 years old. He's played on five different NBA teams already. Damn. And he's been, people have missed on him over and over again. He's got the raw talent, but he can't really put it all together. He's trying to prove himself too. It looks like he's performing at an all-star level. Yeah, so, so I was like five different, so you said five different teams. So like, it's kind of funny because it's like, I feel like it's a double-edged sword. So it's like, there's a lot of teams that see talent. So they obviously want to take a chance, but they're, obviously giving up on him too soon so yeah i know it's 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 pretty crazy because i remember i think that the day you first brought it up i remember just being like like an owl like who (laughs) (laughs) but like no ever since then it's like anytime i like catch a houston highlight it's like dude the christian wood dude is like is popping up so it's like it's it's pretty crazy like how how well and then the fact that they've also gotten draft picks in return so if anything they 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 got rid of their star player brought in a better team and now have assets for the future so if anything houston's really set themselves up for you know to look good moving forward they're in a great position and they're even talking about now all the depots on the trading block and they're thinking of 
swapping him for younger assets or draft picks or something. And I think that really, their future is bright, regardless of whether they keep Oladipo or they flip him for draft assets. But I think they're definitely headed in the right direction. I would have been someone that told you that the day they made the trade. Um, with Dallas, though, so I think there are two sides of this coin. There's the Ewing theory where a team gets better when somebody leaves, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the polar opposite where there's this great system, all the players look really good, but then once they're outside of that system, they're garbage. The Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs are the epitome of that concept, mm-hmm. right? So Josh Richardson on the Miami Heat, if we talked about this three, four years ago when he was there, I would have been like, this guy is the real deal. He's up and coming. He locks it down on defense. He can shoot. He can score. He's fantastic. Went to Philly. Meh. Dallas took a chance. Let's swap Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. Meh. He's not doing shit. He, he looks he's garbage. He's not the same defensive player. He can't shoot the same way. They need him to be. Lucas still gets him plenty of looks, but he's just not delivering. And they don't have... I mean, Tim Hardaway can light it up and be a scorer, but they lost one of those in Seth Curry. And they just don't have... They need perimeter shooting. Lucas still getting people the ball. They're just not knocking it down. They, they need a better supporting cast. Going into the season, it wasn't obvious, but now it is. So I would say that's a big surprise. Well, I remember we also talked about this a few days ago, but like how Luca, his three point shooting has been like very under under par than 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 before. Do you think that him kind of coming into the season like a little out of shape and kind of playing into shape? Do you think that that's also kind of like? Do you think that like Luca having to elevate himself as the season goes has been one of the other reasons that's kind of kept the you know Mavericks in kind of like first gear. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that plays a huge factor, not only for his production and his efficiency, but the morale of the team around him, right? When you see your star player come in, not hitting the shots the way he normally does, not being in shape, not a hundred percent ready to go, I think it, it lowers team morale. And I think other guys don't show up the same way. And I think Luca's figuring it out now. He's playing better. He's going to continue to play better. I think late February, March, Luca is going to be that MVP form. I think he's he's going to turn it around. It's the other guys that I'm worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know if their supporting cast there is ever going to cut it. And I think Porzingis, again, he's starting to look like he's hitting some more threes at a better clip now. He's running the floor a little better. He still doesn't look quite the same, but looks like he's improving. I just don't know if those two guys are enough. They need shooters. They need defenders. They need guys that move the ball. They need more of a team around them. And I think with also with the problem with that is that even like with you saying that not knowing if Doncic and, and uh, Porzingis is enough, but that's also under the assumption that Porzingis is even available to play. Like I feel like he's just as famous for being a big guy that can shoot threes and sh- block shots, but he's also equally as famous for being hurt all the fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so that's why I like almost like, I remember when Porzingis got traded, I remember Max Kellerman making a huge deal being like, that's why like, I, I'm not a Knicks fan anymore and all this shit. And like, in a way it's like, has, has Dallas really like gotten to reap like 
the like the benefits of Porzingis? Like, no. I really don't think so. Like, no. yeah. So now, like in retrospect, if anything, I think it's like Max Kellerman. You kind of overreacted a bit. <laughs> like, you know, like it wasn't I mean, like the it wasn't like the Knicks traded away like Giannis or anything like that. Like, I, I don't think that would be the first time Max Kellerman overreacted. <laughs> Just uh, go back to the Tom Brady fell off a cliff. Oh man. Or and then the ravine. Yeah. Um, you know, like just. I think there's a little bit of reactiveness there. Yeah. Um, but I I agree with you, man. I think uh, Porzingis gets hurt pretty often. I don't think he's reliable. If you think back to the playoffs last year when the Clippers were playing the Mavericks mm-hmm. and KP got hurt game, I think it was either game two or game three, mm-hmm. and it was all on Luka. And Luka hit that game winner. He... He was physically carrying the team on his back. He, he was putting up 40 points. He was hitting buzzer beaters, you know, and he just looked exhausted. Yeah. He was playing hurt. He, he can't do that on his own. It's like he's got to have a Robin to his Batman. And if KP can't be that guy, they've got to look at other options. Maybe Julius Randle. I mean, he's from Texas. I mean, I, I, they wouldn't <laughs> flip Porzingis for Randall. Yeah, I, well, yeah, the, uh, the Knicks wouldn't do that. But hey, if, it's like, hey, they, Knicks, remember when everyone was upset when you traded Porzingis? How you want him back? <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Nets should be going for Jared Allen. Right now. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I think I think they need I think they need to rebuild around Luca. They need to move some parts and they need to rethink Porzingis for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, I just. I love watching Houston. I will watch Houston proactively. Like, I'll stream their games. I'll look at League Pass. Like, I just like watching them play. Mavericks, polar opposite. (laughs) If they're on TV, I just won't even look at it. Not for sure. So, I was going to say, before, because I I do want to get your your Super Bowl pick before we get out of here, but before we move on to that, I was like, you know, I asked you what you thought was more of a surprise, Dallas being shitty or Houston doing good. Is there any player or team that surprised you the most so far this season, whether how good they're doing or, like, how shitty they're doing? So, like I said, player or team, like, what's what's the biggest surprise in the NBA for you? So, I think there's one of each. Okay. And I think the biggest surprise is the Phoenix Suns. I think I think they're a fantastic team. They've sputtered a little bit. They got off to a hot start and they've kind of they they lost I think three or four games in a row, but I think they'll figure it out. I think they're a really balanced team. Mikael Bridges is fantastic 3 and 3 and D guy. DeAndre Ayton is a force um, on the offensive boards and in the post. Chris Paul is playing great in that leadership role. I think Devin Booker needed another leader in the room, somebody, a veteran presence to set the tone. I think Chris Paul's done a great job of that. Cam Johnson has been a good shooter. The, Frank Comiskey comes in and hits a few shots. Like They have a balanced attack. And I think from top to bottom, they're a solid team, offensively, defensively. Um, and I think, I think they're the biggest surprise, and I think they're the real deal. I think they'll keep playing well. Yeah, no, I think that's a great pick because it's been really cool to see that they've built on, like, you know, they, they had an impressive, like, end to the regular season. Like, they basically, no, they won every game but still didn't make the playoff, right? right? They went so, 8-0 in the bubble. Yeah. They didn't make the play-in. No, that's crazy. And it's like, I thought, like, you know, it's like the Suns really haven't been relevant in, like, about 15 years or so. So it's like, I think there was just the assumption that, like, okay, they got hot 
and in the bubble when and other teams just like hadn't gelled yet. I th- I kind of was thinking that was what's going on, but they've obviously proven that no, they are a dude a contender in the West. You know, it's like Chris Paul, I, dude, that guy is like an ageless wonder, man. Yeah. I feel like he's been a point guard in the league for like shit, almost coming up on twenty years now. Like I was point like, God, dude, <laughs> no, dude, for reals, man. And it's like, and it's crazy because he's not like someone like. You know, like Steph Curry, who's just jacking three pointers from like far away, and like, or like explosive, like Ja Morant. He's just like a good fucking point guard. Like he was just put on this earth to fill, facilitate the ball and like lead a basketball team. <laughs> He's a steady hand. He's gonna consistently lead your team and bring that presence, make the right decision. I, I think it's a great fit. And the one player that I think is a surprise. You segued perfect with Steph Curry and the Warriors. Uh-huh. Andrew Wiggins. Uh-huh. I'm pleasantly surprised by Andrew Wiggins. His numbers don't... They're not... There are guys out there scoring more than he does. But he's floating around, I think, the 18 to 20 points a game. He's shooting efficiently. He's playing good defense. He's buying into that system. The Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Like, he's filling that mold and I, and I think Wiggins is at this point it's not about being that number one overall pick snazzy superstar level player I think if he can be a solid contributor scoring reliable scorer solid perimeter defender I think he's going to make a solid lengthy career for himself and yeah. I think he's showing that there I was one of the people that wrote him off he looked like trash in Minnesota yeah, no, and I think it's like what you're saying. It's almost like changing expectations. Like, it's like, don't look at him through the lens of like, oh, he was the first overall pick. It's almost like, look at the lens of like, he's a solid NBA player, like a guy that you'd want in your lineup or, you know, coming off the bench. But I feel like he's been showing that, no, he's like a legitimate, like, ro- guy in your rotation, you know? Like, yeah. So, and yeah, no, that was, it was funny because I actually, you know, I was kind of like, you know, with that section of, like, what was the biggest surprise, and I landed on, like, Dallas or Houston, but Golden State was definitely one of those, because I feel like, especially when Clay Thompson got hurt, a lot of people just, like, wrote them off, like, oh, it's just gonna be another shitty year, but, like, I mean, dude, Stephen Curry is arguably, you know, a top five point guard of all time, yeah. he's the best three-point shooter of all time, Ever. yeah, no, and it's, like, it's, you know, he's a two-time MVP, three-time NBA champion, it's, like, and he's showing, like, no, nah, he, like, He's a, he's he's fucking great, you know, and especially as long as he can stay healthy. I feel like the problem with with Steph Curry is sometimes he's doing so much all the time, and that was probably the issue when they had that seventy three win season. Is I feel like the Warriors just ran out of gas, and yeah. like you know, and like I think Curry was hurt by the by that time, you know. But yeah, no, the the Golden State man, I it's now I'm just imagining like if Clay Thompson can come back, like. <laughs> You know, I, I think, that, but that's, that's a big a if. I mean, he has had a couple pretty big injuries now, so I don't know. But I mean, at least he's not the way Clay Thompson plays. It's like he's not like he doesn't make his bones off being super explosive and needing to like change directions. He's kind of a you know catch and shoot dude. The, one of the probably the best catch and shooter like maybe of all time. You know, it's like it's funny because it's like y- you can argue with Steph Curry or Clay Thompson that like they're probably two of the five best three-point shooters of all time and they've been on the same team but then it's like but like it's something about clay thompson's shot it's just like it's like the most textbook looking shot i've like it's like if you were trying if you were teaching your kid like take like this is how you shoot a ball show him clay thompson right. <laughs> like it's like no for real the mechanics of his shot the catch and shoot like the way he moves without the ball 
off of screens, getting open. His release, his catch and release is so fast, so smooth. It's like the sexiest jump shot I've ever seen. And I think Steph Curry, he's more off the ball. He has that quick release that's unpredictable. He can create separation and just jack up a three and it's going in. But in terms of form and mechanics and just nothing's better than Clay Thompson. But I think, I mean, his shooting's always going to be there. The injuries will definitely affect his defensive impact. Yeah. Because he was an elite perimeter defender. He could just shut down your best guy. And that's something that's been underrated about his game. He may not be the same in that regard. I think the Warriors management's super smart because they're looking at these other wing guys. They're like, if Clay Thompson isn't the same, we have other guys, we can collectively build Clay Thompson through Andrew Wiggins, Damian Lee, and Kelly Oubre Jr. Or some ver- if those guys don't work, swap out and try to build the impact of Clay Thompson. So I think that's what they're trying to do. Kelly Oubre Jr. went for a 40 bomb last night and was 7 for 10 from 3. And, and I mean, he's been historically bad for the rest of the season, but if he can turn it around, Wiggins keeps playing the way he does, I think that's a formidable team. Like, I, I think they're good. Wiseman's hurt. I don't know when he's coming back or what the deal is with his injury. He's important to what they're doing. But that's definitely a team to keep an eye on. Yeah, no, and it's that's what's crazy, just like how deep the West is. Because I was gonna bring up when you were talking about Oladipo with Houston, I was gonna like suggest a similar thing where it's like you know Houston's doing really good. They've got a good squad. They've got a lot of assets for the future. And Oladipo, like with something approved, has been playing great for him. But like with how deep the West is, it's like the Rockets aren't winning the West, and they're not going to the finals this year. Like I don't even care how hot they get, they're not gonna get through like you know at least the top half of the Western Conference. No if you're Houston, do you trade Oladipo and try to get some even more assets or try to get a younger dude in? Like, or do you... I think that's the right move. I think the way John Wall's playing right now, and he's on a minutes restriction, and he doesn't play back-to-backs, but John Wall looks good. Like, he looks like that all-star, like, franchise player that he was in Washington. Like, just with the eye test. Like, you watch him play... He's still explosive. He's still a great facilitator. Like, he can show up and play some defense. Like, I think, like, his quickness almost looks like it hasn't missed a beat, surprisingly. So I think you have him, you have Christian Wood. Eric Gordon's another guy. Like, do you flip him and try to get younger? Or do you try to, like, win some games with him? Make it to the playoffs? Flip Oladipo for a younger guy? I think think they're going to make another move to get younger, but try to pull an OKC Thunder type of deal where it's like, how can we rebuild while being playoff relevant? I, I think that's that's the angle Houston's trying to take with this, and I think they're doing a good job so far. Um, if I'm them, I'd trade Oladipo, because I think last night, so they have him and Wall in back-to-back situations. They sat Wall the first one, let him play the second one, Played Oladipo the first one, sat him the second one to stagger them because neither one of them can play back-to-backs right now. The version of the Rockets that had Wall and not Oladipo looks significantly better. So I think that's probably like a confirmation for them, okay, 
we can have a successful team without Oladipo, even though he does help us, we can get younger and build to the future. Yeah, no, I think that just because things kind of like didn't end well for John Wall in Washington, I think people forget like how fucking good that guy is. Like, remember in college, it was almost like he was like, because he was in Kentucky, right? Yeah, yeah no, he, I just remember John Wall, it was almost like, he, he was he was a superstar. Like I remember in the at the NCAA tournament, I think their first two opening rounds was at the Honda Center and I went to Cal State Fullerton and Kentucky was practicing in our gym. And I remember like we were all trying to get a peek at John Wall specifically. Yeah. That's why like it's like, you know, James Harden's a piece of shit where it's like, you really don't want to play with this guy? Like yeah. this guy's a fucking stud. Like, yeah. you know, like so it's like you, you, we you know, we you were playing with Chris Paul, you're playing with Russell Westbrook. John Wall is better than Russell Westbrook, in my opinion. And then, like, you know, I mean, I, and I'm not going to say the same thing about Chris Paul because I think, like I said, Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer and, like, he's, yeah. he's just so damn good. But, man, like, you know, I think that John Wall is, like, super underrated just because of, like I said, it didn't work out well in Washington. But he's showing in Houston, man, that, dude, he's a fucking dude. And, like, yeah. I think that definitely Houston would be smart to build around him, man. I think that's what they're going to do. And I think that's the right move. Right on, man. I was gonna say we've covered a lot, and I feel like we could probably just keep talking like all evening. <laughs> but yeah, man. So like, I know you've got some stuff to finish up. Um, but before we get out of here, Super Bowls on Sunday. Who you got? I've got Tampa, dude. Oh I've shit, got Tampa. Tampa. I, I'm rooting for, or I'm thinking the Bucks are gonna win it. I've been back and forth. This is the first time, even out loud, that I've said these words. But I think they're going to win, and I think it's because of a balanced... Their defense is legit. JPP um, and Dominican Sue. They have... Um, who's the guy they just got back? Vita Vea. Vita Vea's back, and he's going to play. And I, I think they're going to they're gonna have pressure, especially with those two tackles out for the front line. For the Chiefs, I think they're going to put pressure on Mahomes. Mahomes is still going to work some magic. But if they can pressure him, get him to make some mistakes, and then Tom Brady can deliver, which you know he will in the clutch, A.B., Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, like, and Gronk. I was going like, to say, you almost like, didn't like, even say the tight ends. Like, they're, they're going to... They're going to have a steady offense. They're going to be able to produce. And if their defense can give them a window, I think they can beat the Chiefs. So I'm picking Tampa. It's going to be close. But I think I think the Bucks will pull it out. Right on, man. Because I was going to say, like, all week, I, you know, I haven't come out and said who I was going to pick. But I think now is as good as time as ever because I don't think I'm going to record until, until after the Super Bowl. So over the all week, I feel like, I think on Monday's episode, I think the subject was like, are the Chiefs like unbeatable? And then I brought up how their left tackle's out. And I think a significant thing with, you know, Eric Fisher being out is he's been, he's missed six games in Patrick Mahomes' career. And they are three and three in the games that he's missed. So especially playing a team that is known for having a really good defense, known for having a really good pass rush, I think that Kansas City could be in trouble. But then it's weird because it's like, so my official pick, I, th- I think Tampa Bay is going to pull it off. 
for a number of reasons. I, th- I think that the pressure is going to be enough to at least slow down Kansas City. A lot of people are pointing to Tyreek Hill, how he got like 200 yards in the first quarter against them. But after that, I think he only got like 60-something. They were double-teaming him and Travis Kelsey. They started playing um, double-teaming with the safeties coming up at the top. So I feel like you know it's going to be interesting to see if Tampa Bay's adjustments from the last game move over to this game. And But, you know, it's kind of... It is one of those things where, like, let's. I'm picking Tampa Bay, but Kansas City's so fucking good that I could see Kansas City winning, and I could see them even winning easily, and me sitting there being like, well, of course. Why did you try to be too fucking smart and pick against these guys? <laughs> like, you know, so, I mean... roll that out by any Yeah, so, like, you know, I do think that with the, you know, the pass rush and the tough defense, like, I think that that's, like, the schematic reason I'm picking it, but then, like, all the other reasons, I think repeating in a super like winning back-to-back Super Bowls is really tough to do you know I think that's something like but I think the the umbrella of all those reasons where it could just fall back and be the Chiefs all fall under Patrick Mahomes yeah the legend that is Patrick Mahomes like that dude is just next level he he could pull it out any difference you put another quarterback in his position and the Bucks are winning Mm -hmm. but I think Mahomes just has that it factor where it never will be surprising if he wins a Super Bowl. No, for sure. I mean, it, just look at last year's playoffs when they were playing Houston, and I think they went down like 21 or 28 nothing, like right off the bat. And then just Kansas City just like blew them out of the water. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, oh, like all Patrick Mahomes needs to do is just be like, all right, like let's fucking win. Like, and that's just what it seems like. And it's like, that's what all the greats do. I feel like, you know, I'm someone that also semi roots for the Cowboys. So oh, you guys can hate me for that. But, you know, like, whenever they're playing the Packers, it was almost like, oh, God, you know Aaron Rodgers is just going to fucking turn it on and beat the Cowboys. Like, and that's just what I feel like Mahomes does with everybody. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm still doubling down. I still think Tampa Bay is going to figure it out. They've got the GOAT on the team. Um, And then even when you look at last year's Super Bowl, you know, the 49ers were able to keep Kansas City at bay. I don't know if, you know, Super Bowl, at least in recent memory over the past couple Super Bowls, they've been more low-scoring affairs butts get tight in the Super Bowl. So, you know, in, in a defensive struggle, I def, you know, I'm picking Tampa Bay. But, you know, there's going to be some thunderstorms tomorrow so or on Sunday. So I think, I don't know if that's going to affect it. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're just a couple dudes in California just, like, talking some shit and making our picks. But, you know, well, I guess we're going to see on Monday, right? Or yeah. we'll see on Sunday. And then we can talk about it on Monday. But, uh, Sounds good, man. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to being there for the follow-up. I know we got to wrap it up, but you got me jazzed with this football talk. And there's one more thing. Oh, hell yeah, do it. I want to get you to take on. <laughs> man, like, you did a really good job selling me to keep coming back to this podcast, the way you're talking about my Dodgers and my Lakers. But there's one team, you know, that I, I want to get you to say some good things about. <laughs> And uh, that's my silver and black, the Las Vegas Raiders. Interesting development with as I've been reading more and hearing more about the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. We've talked about the asking price for Matt Stafford and how that kind of laid the foundation for other teams to now negotiate quarterback talk. Mm -hmm. The feeling, based on what I've read, about the market for Derek Carr. So what the Raiders would do is if they feel confident about making that deal for Deshaun Watson, they would flip Carr and the market 
value is two first round picks because of what Detroit got for Stafford. So the thinking is maybe in the immediate car may not be quite Stafford, but the youth, like there, there's potential there and he's a starting quarterback in this league, two first round picks. If the Raiders can get two first for Carr, flip that with more picks and maybe a couple players for Deshaun. Mm, okay, so at first I thought you were you were mentioning packaging two first rounders and Derek Carr, but you're saying like if the Raiders were to do something like trade him to maybe Washington football team for two firsts. Okay, no, that no, that's actually a good idea. Take yeah. those two firsts, package it with something for Deshaun. And then they win the Deshaun sweepstakes. Okay. I mean, I think they have something that other teams in the sweepstakes do not have, which is a viable starting quarterback that they can flip for assets. No, that's definitely true. I mean, I think that's that's really interesting. And, you know, I, and it's funny because, like I had mentioned earlier on this podcast, is while I think that's a good trade, it's still not good for Houston, but at the, at the end of the day, they've kind of backed themselves in this corner where it's like, you're just going to have to pick something. And, you know, I think that that's definitely, I, I haven't even thought, I haven't thought of that, like, you know, doing a, a separate trade because I would, I assume that anything for Deshaun Watson and the Raiders would involve sending Derek Carr and a bunch of draft picks in exchange, but that's pretty, yeah. I, but then I'm, you know, from Houston, I'm almost like, you know, it's almost like, would you want... You see the Raiders making that move to get draft picks, but it's like... I don't know. It's almost like, do you, would you almost want... Would you would you almost want Derek Carr instead of the other draft picks? At least Derek Carr could be, like, someone that comes in and, like, makes sure your team's not, like, complete dog shit. Because I do think... Because I think Derek Carr's a capable quarterback. So, yeah. you know, if Houston wanted to make sure they're not just, like, going 1-15 and 15 next year, maybe you bring him in, but... You want you want my hot take, man? Yeah. Win win for everybody. All right. Raiders ship car to Washington football team, two first round picks. Package them with Mariota and some other assets to Houston. Houston gets a quarterback, maybe not a great caliber starting quarterback, but a quarterback with some draft capital. And then the Raiders get Deshaun Watson. Dude, I fucking like it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was sitting there, I was like, oh yeah, Marcus Mariota's on the team. They could totally fucking do that. <laughs> you know, and I think like, dude, with Vegas, with the Raiders being in, in Vegas, like if this is only going to be their second year next year, it's like having a dude that like will make people want to fly out to Vegas and fill that stadium every single week. Like, man, that might be the move, man. So let's definitely keep a radar on it. And I mean, now with, you know, after Sunday... There's going to be a lot of just speculative football talk, and I, I'm sure Deshaun Watson's going to dominate a lot of that. So definitely going to have to have you back on, man, to, to follow up on this and, you know, with your hot take on that and, and Christian Wood being considered uh, com- most or like, improved the most player. improved player. He's yeah. It. It All right. <laughs> send it. But, dude, if this trade goes through, I'm going to hold you to it on the mic. You owe me a six-pack. All right. Yeah, no, dude, definitely, man. I was going to say, they, they, I feel like... If Mariota gets... If that same thing happens, I deserve... If some variation first. of trading Derek Carr for draft picks and then in in turn using those draft picks to get Deshaun Watson happens, I will get you a six-pack of your choice because okay. that is, like, a pretty creative and, and a trade that makes sense to me. So, all right, man. Thanks for coming, dude.
Thanks for having me, dude. It's been a blast. Fuck yeah, man. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday and hope you enjoy the game on Sunday, dude. You too, man. Peace. Thank you guys for taking a listen. That was a Cali Green Monster show number 19. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, enjoyed the basketball talk, the football banter, and uh, yeah, I hope to have Steven on more often. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. Until next time, motherfuckers. Peace.